dirty little whore. Welcome to Whore Pod. Right now, it is July. Yesterday was the portal of 777. I am also 777. I think three sevens in my numerology. And whenever portals occur, I'm like, meh, it's not going to affect me. I'm just going with the flow the motion of the ocean and oftentimes portals really rock my world and suck me in and I feel incredibly blessed that I'm sitting in the shape of a triangle with two fucking beautiful souls Mark and Jessa welcome hey hi hello hello what do you guys think of portals what do you think of the portal of yesterday (laughs) well it was definitely a portal um i i don't ever go into the portals that are like laid out because of the numerology or whatever expecting anything yeah i actually didn't know yesterday was that until we were in it and we had connected that it was seven seven and that the year and then we really only connected that because it was a wild day yeah so i don't i don't do ritual anyway but i don't put a lot into it but i you know they're often but i feel like i have a lot of portals that are also not being experienced as a big group yeah yeah, I feel the same way. I don't, it's like I look back and then I'm like, oh shit, that was a portal. Ah, oh, that makes, it makes a lot of sense. I don't, I feel like the Lion's Gate portal was one, that, the only one that we, me and you, Jessa, went somewhere kind of intentionally to be like, let's be in this location doing something when that occurs. Yeah, Other well, they're that, great excuses to do drugs. Yeah, and that's <laughs> kind of what that one, that one was. But it's the same thing, like yesterday felt off and felt like, whoa, this is, there's the energies swirling around and it, I felt a little bit high though I was sober and then it's like, Oh, there must be a portal and then look into it. And then that's kind of how it goes for me. Yeah. And I'm here right now because Jessa texted me a few weeks ago. Do you like kittens? And I responded of, yes, I'm not Satan. And (laughs) how many cats do you guys have? 12. We have now have 12, three semi-adults and a bunch of kittens. 12 is a very magic number for you guys and seems like a synchronicity yeah. in your relationship. And cats are very magic. Yeah. And when you texted me to come, I like felt like this sense of relief. It almost felt like I was being pulled out of something. Mm. And that's the energy I feel around portals is it like it pulls you out and into something new. I think portals are so fucking amazing for timeline jumping. And before I came, I was like, you said you felt weird asking me to come mm-hmm. or asking me to like come watch your cats. <laughs> and 
hang with you guys for a few days. But it really felt like this energy of like being pulled. And whenever I go to an airport, airports are super fucking literal portals mm. where you can step on to something and go into a new world. But for me specifically, almost every time I enter an airport, I start bleeding. And it's like I'm releasing something through my body, through my blood from an old timeline and preparing for a new timeline. Wow. And as soon as I got to the airport, Rosie texted me, Lacey, once you step on a plane, you hop on a new timeline. I wonder what this timeline is going to be for you. And I was like, fuck, bitch. Why do you have to say that? <laughs> like, I know that, but just the reminder of it, it's like, ugh. And the night before that, whenever I go on trips, I pull cards. I don't know why I should probably stop. But I was using Marcella Kroll's deck and with my friend Bree. And I asked the cards, like, what do I need for this trip? And I, the first card I pulled was death. I was like, what the fuck? I need death. And I was like, can you give me a clarifying card? And the second card was lucky. And I was like, and can you give me another clarifying card? And then the third card was water. And I was like, wow, crystal clear. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and my sweet friend Brie is like, Lacey, death, rebirth. We all sudden, subtly die all the time. And I was like, Nothing in my life is subtle. Nothing has ever been subtle. I don't anticipate subtle coming down the pipeline. Like, I don't know how to be subtle in my facial expressions or my emotions. Subtle is just not something I carry. So I was like afraid to tell you, Jessa. I was like, do I tell her I pulled the death card before I come? <laughs> and then I was like, so does this mean I shouldn't travel? And so I pulled another set of three. And the first card I pulled was safe travel. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then the second card I pulled was medicine, that this will be medicine for me. And the third card was Vesica Pisces. Mm. And I kept thinking it said Jessica Pisces. Mm. And there just was this feeling of like, okay, I'm supposed to go on this trip, but there's going to be a death. And I was on the plane and I got, when I landed, I got all these missed calls and texts saying, call us right now. And you know, when you get the like, call me right now texts mm -hmm. from people you don't usually talk to, I'm like, who died? And it, I called my brother and he was like, mom fell. And the night before, after I pulled cards with Brie, I went to sleep and I had one of those dreams where you jump up awake and what happened in my dream was I was falling or I fell in my dream but I couldn't tell if it was me or someone else mm. and that person died in my dream and my brother's like our mom fell and I haven't talked to my mom since I was 16 but I got removed from her when I was 13 and then my grandma calls who I don't have a great relationship with. And she says, your mom wants to make amends with you. They're, they're about to transfer her to the ICU. She needs you to call her now to make amends. Mm. 
really the last five minutes. <laughs> really just waiting for it. You Talk know? about procrastinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got really sick this year. My family has been supportive. My mom did not think about making amends then. Um, any major life event, no one has contacted me. And yeah, and but I decided I would try to call. And I called and her boyfriend or husband or I have no idea who this man is. He answered and he's like, your mom's been calling out for you saying Lacey and she needs to make amends with you and she thinks she's going to die and she needs to make amends with you really fast. And he's like, but I don't know what that means. And I was like, well, I don't know what that means either. And I was like, but I am about to get on a plane. And he said, okay, and hung up on me. And so I like called back to be like, but I will talk to her or like, can I call in an hour when I land? And then they just never answered my call again. And I got a text later in the night saying, your mom's been put on a ventilator, so you can't call and talk to her now. And I'm just sitting in a room with Mark and Jessa <laughs> and uh, wondering what a death means in life when you've already grieved a person. Mm. Or have you really grieved a person just because you've been in grief about their existence and absence for so long and does the grief process ever start or stop or is it just a continuation and flow what do you feel about grief mark yeah i don't i'm not sure if it ever i guess it does stop i mean i have a similar experience uh as you as far as it feels like your mom died a long time ago in some sense, right? Because you, you lost her and all of that past trauma creates this like separation, um, with somebody that's supposed to be there. You think kind of for a long time as you're young, you, you, but that like, for me, my dad didn't, I didn't have like a trauma or abandonment, but he got so sick, uh, when I was probably 12. To the point where he wasn't really there. He's very handicapped and mentally not there. And <clears throat> was at death's door multiple times. So my family and myself, we had to kind of process it as it came very close a couple times. And then he basically, you know, he smoked his whole, t whole life. Had COPD to the point where he couldn't walk five feet without an oxygen tank. And, um, then ended up getting double lung transplant, kind of came back to life for a little while. And then finally it got the best of him and he died. So it was weird. Like when it happened, I had a heads up kind of, and it did feel like as he was literally like, cause it was at home and we got to kind of curate those last couple hours with him and, and then you know, as he, he died, it was weird. Cause I wasn't crying. I wasn't really emotional. I had to force myself a little bit to be like, okay, you're, you're losing your dad. This is something you're supposed to be emotional about, but because I had grieved it multiple times already and had a pretty distant relationship with him, he wasn't really a dad anymore that I, I then found it like, I, this isn't, I think I'm done grieving and this is just going to be the physical process of it. 
but then as I like allowed myself to just like let go and, and move into the reality that he is physically leaving now, I did have a bit more of some crying and some other memories come up that I that were tough to deal with. So I found it to be like I thought I had grieved everything, but then when the physical body does does leave and there the next day, you know, it's like, okay, he is no longer there. I can't go maybe make amends or maybe he's gonna mentally come back for a moment and be my dad there's like a new level a new depth that does come up that i i probably spent the next year slowly like grieving some more of that you were also like angry at him in a way too right like angry at his sickness yeah angry at the the his inability to kind of accept it and then that caused other people in his life to kind of get a little bit abused and jerked around because he, he was kind of a, I mean, he became a child. He like kind of regressed into this person because he didn't accept that. I mean, he smoked, it was his kind of doing, you know? Um, so it was, it, it did bring up some anger as I was becoming a man and still having to kind of watch him, boss my mom around and my mom kind of doing it because he's handicapped you know and so you have to you want to care for him but there's it's complicated like psychology that like went on so i think i didn't know how to deal with it except to just kind of be mad and slough it off yeah and there was like some anger because like i hear you use the word choose a lot he he'd like kind of chose it through smoking and I thought it was really interesting what you said yesterday when I, you had just come in from running and we all like kind of just woke up. Well, I just woke up and we just immediately, I haven't seen you and we just started talking about death right away. And you brought up the energy of him choosing it and that almost like you could feel him come into your body after his death. And that you started choosing smoking, which was his vice. Yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff around that. I mean, I, I don't want to make this about me. I want to hear about more about it and talk about the, what you're going through right now. But I guess this gives some For each other. context. But it is really interesting. I've learned a lot more about death um, just through that experience. I think there was the one thing that he did finally. I never saw my dad as being like a man and making a, a courageous decision so much like he, he like I said he was always pretty weak and manipulative and so the way it worked out in the end when you get a lung transplant any transplant you have to take drugs to convince your body that that organ is yours so so it doesn't reject and your body like will kill itself because it's a foreign object but eventually that drug doesn't work and your body will kind of start to deteriorate and and kill itself and so what happened was we got to that point where my dad was getting very sick again and there was nothing else we could do because you'd already done two lung transplants. And the thing was like, you could stay on this medication and you're going to slowly exit this realm or you could make the decision to stop the medication and we'll give you some painkillers and within a day or two, you'll, you'll exit. And it's your decision basically is what the doctor said. And so me thinking like the way my dad was, he was going to be like, okay, well I'll just keep taking this stuff and I'll slowly get out of here. And then we're all going to have to like 
sit with you as you just slowly exit this place. So it was, that's what I thought would have happened, but he did, he took a day and like sat with it and then came to us and was like, this is what I want to do. I want to spend this week and have some family come over and just so I can have my last moments and say goodbye. And then I'll probably make the decision to cut it. And so we did that. And then he finally like brought us all in the room. He was like, okay, I'm ready. Let's just, let's go ahead and get this thing started, you know? And I was like, wow, that's actually pretty courageous. Like when you're at death's door to have the opportunity to say, I'm going to go now, you know, and it's not immediate, but it's like a day or two that it did happen. So that was a really cool thing to finally get my dad, see my dad make that decision and, and go through that door. The thing that I kept learning afterwards, I guess, is that he, once he left, it took me like another year to just like slowly grieve the idea that he was gone and hear stories about how wonderful he was from friends in a like time that I didn't know him. It was like hearing stories about someone that wasn't my dad. It was like, that was interesting to hear and started to make me look at him a little bit of a different way and see myself in him. I were cleaning out a lot of his stuff at our house and I found some boxes of old tapes that he had. Um, he was in advertising and marketing and there's all these like quarter inch tapes of audio little like jingles and him doing spoken word stuff. He was also into like poetry. And so he had his own like private reels of art kind of, but I, I went through this box and me being a musician, I decided to start taking some of those things and sample them. Um, not with any intention really of bringing like him back to life in my art really like thinking about that i was kind of selfishly like oh this is none of this is copyrighted nobody knows about this <laughs> i'm gonna make like some cool music with this because that's as a musician it's really fun to find samples that haven't been taken and then when i started doing the music like i got into that you just get into a flow state you're kind of with the muse of creativity which i feel like is connecting to source and I found myself like feeling his presence when I would make the music in the studio, very subtle, but it was just kind of a him on my mind a lot and him like having joy, feeling joy, like through me by me kind of recreating stuff from his art. And that was super healing with a lot of it because it brought, I felt closer to him than I ever did really in my physical life. And so that, that started to kind of like, I guess that was that new deep level of grief where now I was like really sad that he wasn't there because I, cause you could feel his spirit more without yeah. the blocks of the physical. Yeah. And so I was like grieving that, like, I wish I could have had that while he was here. But then it was like, I kind of accepted that. I was like, well, he's here now though. I feel it. So I'm going to keep doing this. And I felt like closer to him. Until then, I like found myself smoking cigarettes, <laughs> which is what he died from. And I always, I never really ever went near cigarettes except for a moment when I was like in middle school. But in our family, we just all knew he was like at death's door all the time from that. So we had no desire to pick that up. But grieving, as I learned later too, like the lungs are a processing center for grief in a lot of ways. And I felt like this idea that like I, whatever our DNA is connected in some way that it felt like I was picking up a vice that he had and I was still in material form. So I could help him process that on some way and him not have to deal with that again. 
Does that make sense? Like yeah. I could maybe pick up the cigarette, get addicted and then learn how to let go of it where he didn't learn how to let go of it. You know, it killed him because he was he just liked it as a vice. You get addicted. So I didn't know why that I was doing it. And I was smoking like a pack a day. It was like just this vicious thing. And I felt it bite me and like uh, the addiction of it, like really took hold of me. And uh, I would find myself doing a little bit of like rituals, communicating with him, like saying like, I'm going to let this shit go though. Like this, I get that I've picked this up from you, but like, I'm going to work on letting it go for you. There's so much... I just feel like my guides have recently told me that a lot of my vices or my darker behaviors are my ancestors working through me where we all are like here right now, very intentionally to break the curses of our ancestors, but we can only like break the curse by going through their tunnel in a way. And maybe we're not all supposed to, I don't know what everyone's supposed to do. But every time I'm like attracted to poison or toxicity or a toxic relationship, there's part of me that's like, God, Lisa, you're bad. You're not healed enough yet. Or like, why are you repeating this pattern? And then I just hear my guides very clearly be like, this is an ancient pattern in your lineage. Mm. And by going through this toxicity, you will also find the medicine for the poison and I'm like really finding more freedom right now of like releasing myself from the blame and knowing that this is a program that is programmed in my DNA. Yeah. And by you being still in material form, you can process that or transmute it. And therefore it heals it backwards, the ancestor into the ancestry. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I felt like. I, f I was learning that too, uh, as the stuff was happening and I intuitively was picking up on that, but then I would learn a little bit more about these connections we have through ancestry, like our ancestors and through death. And I have also just like learned recently the idea that there's, I like this idea. I don't know if it's real, but it feels when you're connected through, you know, I'm half of what my dad was and I'm half of my mom. And so that's my dad is like, there's a big part of me that is my dad. And that when he dies, there's an opportunity for part of that consciousness to, cause there's no time at that point, part of his consciousness to, I wouldn't, it's like jump in me. It's like the only word to say, but it doesn't, it's not exactly like that, but it's like view life through me and therefore like influence me and kind of inspire me or also like like i said connect to where i can pick up a vice of his and drop it and then he can go oh that's how i just have to you know he can learn something from that and there's a lot of soul like development from either side i think it's probably on a higher level it there's an agreement that occurs but it's it is really cool to know that that's how like we we can kind of transmute things, lessons that we're learning and share them with each other because there's such a deep connection there. And so I still am learning about it every day. Like I, I think I've, I processed a lot of his death and I've let go of him and I don't feel his presence that much anymore. I mean, I do now, right, right now, cause we're speaking about it, but, um, it's really interesting. I, I know, I, I know death to not be real, but I don't, it's like that thing where you can't, 
feel that necessarily. I mean, unless you really are dying every day, there's a part of us that you can like experience that thing. But it's, it's really fascinating to me the, the idea of death and that, that it's just this kind of transition, but there is this overhang and essence that can, then it can occur, especially within the blood and DNA of our, our parents. Death feels very real to me right now. Like a, like a, and I just had to push like energy away as you were saying that your dad came through you and like in your <laughs> lens, you know, because sometimes like I'll listen to people talk and I realize I do this even just listening to podcasts that I hear so much from the frequency of voice that I can start integrating that frequency in my body and go into other people's bodies just through that frequency, even if I don't know them. And I was like starting to like do that with you a little right now. And then I was like, no, I don't want your dad in my body right now. <laughs> no, don't, nor do I want anyone else who's in the bardo. You hear me? You hear me? Don't come me through here. Jess. I don't want your dad in my body. That's something else back in my day. I've had to say that a few times in this life. Um, how do you feel about grief? Um. I don't have a ton of experience with death um, yet. I have lost a few people, but I have object permanence stuff. So outside of someone in my immediate household or someone I'm in daily contact with, my system just never really processes that they're gone. And I don't know if that is because I don't... Um, because of, you know, some sort of neurodivergence thing, or if it's because of my relationship with death, because my, my belief in death, my relationship with death is really only informed by my experience with dying. And so I feel like for myself, I have a really good grasp on it's a transition and it's not even real. And so when I think about people I love dying, it's just, I'm going to miss the character like hanging out with you here in this game as that avatar. Because when we move on, I think you travel with a relatively small group of souls. And that's why I, when I, like when we met, I was like, oh, there you are. And then it didn't even take a lot of catching up. I was like, no, no, we're just, I get it. Um, so when someone died, I don't believe death is ever an accident. I don't believe that death is a tragedy. I don't believe that everyone lives to their, their life expectancy. I think that most of the pain and suffering in the world comes from a fear of death that I don't really have. I don't fear change. And so when I'm, when I am suffering a loss to me, it is just like, well, this is a breakup essentially. And then I have to grieve that. Now, obviously if I lost anyone who lives in my household or any of my close friends or, you know, like my dad, I'm going to have to go through grief, but I don't believe that they're gone forever, that it's anything other than they've blipped into a different thing. And so I have a, 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 it's just like the emotional processing and it's very fast. And like I said, hopefully I never will have to experience this, but up until this point, I have not yet experienced like you know, outside the miscarriage last year, you know, I've lost people, but there's always some weird thing that happens where we were very connected. And then I just did a me thing and moved to a different state. And then after three months went by, they were dead or whatever. So I, um, always have an alibi, just kidding. Um, 
And then I can't connect to it. So then like three years will go by and I'll have an emotional reaction at the time, but it's so short. And then years will go by and I'll be like, whoa, I can't, I can't call that person right now to ask them about that. And then that, that's the part I kind of get tripped up on. So like my stepdad died a year ago now, I guess. And I was raised by my step parents were around my whole life. So I don't even remember my parents without my step parents. And my stepdad was, you know, um, my mom was rough to deal with. And so I was very close with my stepdad. And then, uh, we both became addicts at the same time. And so then I even spent a lot of that time with him. And then when I got clean, um, you know, we would talk at tax season every year cause he's a tax accountant. And so every time I couldn't figure out something in taxes, I'd reach out and then I'd maybe see him once a year. And, um, but I loved him very much and he's a parent to me, you know, he's definitely one of my parents and he passed last year and I found out on fucking Instagram, which is a nightmare. Um, someone had to reach out and, um, I had a really good cry for about a, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then there was just kind of a somber vibe a little bit. He was my stepdad, but he was my sister's dad. So then she came out. And we mostly just like hung out and cracked jokes and there was just a little bit of a thing, but like, I, I feel like I can't hold on to it for very long. And, um, I don't know if that's because I have a really healthy relationship with death or just like, there's still aspects that I can't feel, but if it's not someone who's in my daily life, it'd be very difficult for me, especially someone I haven't seen in 20 years, trying to process their death would be, I I'm such a robot with some of that stuff. Cause I'm like, you're not in my day-to-day -day reality. You already kind of don't exist. I mean, I'm very out of sight, out of mind. And so, yeah. Yeah. Like my mom doesn't exist in my reality in one hand and not just doesn't exist, like was brutal to me mm. and my disabled brother and, and found elements of joy in brutalizing her own children and elements of pride in brutalizing us. And that's the part that kind of scared me about her the most is that she didn't carry a lot of remorse after hurting me. I remember one time I was just like trying to go to school and I, I would thrive in school because I thrive around an audience and like energy of performing and learning. And like, I figured out I was good at learning. And when I would blossom, I think that scared her a little bit because mm. she didn't get to blossom a lot because of her own abuse and her own inability to like heal or have people around her that offered healing. And we were, you know, she had me when she was a teenager. So there was a closeness in age. But I remember one time I was like trying to go to school and she was like, no, and like stepped in front of the door. And I was like 11 or 12. And I was like, no, I'm going to school. And she was like drunk in the morning, mm. you know, and she grabbed my jaw and like slammed my head against the door. And she was like, you never will stand up to me again. And then just had this like smile on her face, you know? And I feel like I've spent the rest of my life learning to stand and stand mm. up, which has got me into some trouble at times because there's this constant 
voice in my head of like, are you standing up for yourself, Lacey? Are you standing up for yourself? Are you standing up for yourself? But then another voice that just really wants love and to be taken care of and connection. So there's always this like hidden secret subconscious battle of, am I letting you love me? And do I have to sacrifice standing up for myself to let you love me? Mm. And did my mom love me and abuse me? Or because she abused me, does it mean she didn't love me? Mm. And she acts in that manner because that's how her parents treated her. And when the police removed us from that house, they put me with my mom's parents, which is absurd. <laughs> like, how do you think she got this way? And so then I'm like with them who are the push and pull, the hot and cold. And when our parents are so hot and cold, that just instills a lack of trust mm. with reality. So you're constantly like, do you love me? Are you mad at me? And then they show you love, but you don't know that sometimes like my mom would give me love if I didn't stand up for myself. It was a reward to be a carpet she could walk on. And she needed me to constantly save her and take care of her and to be her mother. I think I've said this before, but she would wake me up some mornings to like, get her clothes ready before she went to her waitress job. I would get her clothes ready while she showered. And then when she got out of the shower, I would like get her brush. And she had one of those God awful banana clips. <laughs> like, like, do you remember the banana clips yes. would make your hair into a mohawk and she would perm her hair. So it was like real curly <laughs> mohawk. And, um, she had repressed rage, so she'd like try to put the banana clip in perfectly, and if it didn't work, she'd like throw the banana clip at the mirror, and I would get in trouble if the banana clip didn't work, mm-hmm. or if I gave her banana clip, because they could break and you could put them back together. And it was just this constant feeling of like mothering my mother. And when I got removed from the state, my mom and dad had an option to take classes and to get sober. And to see my brother and I, and they were both crystal clear in court and said, like, we don't ever want to see them again. We have no desire to see them again. And we were living with my grandparents who, like, also didn't have, like, a huge interest in who we were as people. So when I got the call and text in the airport because I had a layover of, like, your mom desperately wants to talk to you to make amends because she's think she's going to die. I was like, really? (laughs) Me? Why me? Where I feel like everyone else is like, well, yeah, your parents want to talk. Parents want to talk to their kids when they die. But I never even considered she thought about me or had any interest. Do you feel like I should have talked to her or like, what do you feel like that energy is? Yeah. I don't know. I think when we were, it was happening last night, my, everything that you've told me about your experience with her, I didn't, it didn't feel like you owed that. But the part of me, that's like the culture part of me, that's like your parents dying. You need to go make amends because you're going to regret it. That's like there. But like, as far as what you've experienced, like it didn't feel like you would ever regret that. It felt like that's your one, this is your time to actually, stand up to her and it sounds fucked up but to stand up and be like i'm 
you're obviously like doing this last second thing because you're about to be out of here. Like, no, felt more power, powerful, more empowering, you know? Yeah. And when you meet, so like you're saying that she didn't, she didn't, wasn't trying to call just from your intuition. You don't think she was trying to call me because she loves me and wants to make sure like I'm okay. More like you think she's about to enter portals. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I don't know her belief, but like most people, I think probably when you're at that right at the doorstep, you're considering, is there a God? Is there somebody I'm going to meet that's, I'm going to face this judgment for what I have done. And it's very close. So you selfishly go, let me, let me clean up. Let me sweep up everything I did that I can immediately think of. And, and the fact that you were on the forefront of that means that there was a lot of abuse that she probably at this point is not okay with. And so there's, there's love there. I'm sure like she, because she's trying to call out for you, like she knows she loves you, but she also knows that she fucked up bad and that she selfishly is trying to clean that up. So she's not in trouble on the other side, you know? And I think that that, we don't know what that other side is, what kind of judgment, who that is, if it's yourself judging or what, but that's you being on a, in a higher level going, this is now your thing to deal with. And that's not you, you, you don't owe her that, you know, it doesn't, it felt kind of selfish to me. Yeah. That she was being selfish. Yeah. I and feel like, sorry. I feel like the conversation around love when we're talking about parents um, it's natural for us to feel, and I think also just in society in general, the conversation around do, does this person love me is we feel like it's a, it's a question of worth and it's actually just a question of capacity. So when you're dealing with someone who's been doing drugs since they were a teenager, so they did drugs through the, the 10 years of their brain's development, which is usually symptomatic of the trauma, which is going to affect their capacity to love. And then they do a bunch of horrific things, which is very possible when you're dissociated and on drugs and living in kind of an alternate reality. And then the court says, you know, it's not just you're going to have to get sober. It's like the, the government's going to be coming to your house on a regular basis. And I know lots of people who just said, take the kids because they're like, I can't get sober and I can't deal with the feds being here. I'm a drug dealer. I'm a whatever. And and I speaking from experience, when you're on drugs, those decisions aren't about love. I mean, they're, you know, you belong to the substance that you're addicted to. I can't speak to the, you know, the, the taking joy and abusing your child because I didn't have that experience, but I definitely like I left, um, my child with family while I did drugs and couldn't feel the gravity of that decision until after I got clean until I didn't have the substances in there. So she never got clean. You know, she's, she's been fucked up for 40 years now. Um, so the question is like, is she a person who has the capacity to feel love? Like a mother feels love? Probably not. She probably died without that capacity. So she probably, it felt selfish, but I don't even think when you're talking about someone who, you know, we're probably talking some deep psychological, um, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but sociopath, psychi you know, someone extreme who does mental those, illness, extreme mental illness. 
uh, personality disorder or worse, um, on top of addiction, it's like apples and oranges. We can't even sit because we're, we're, we're trying to define love or, you know, even the capacity for love from our categories of reason. And I, she doesn't even exist in that reality. Right. Because she did those things. And so, um, it just, it did feel she's a self-oriented person because that's what you are when you're an addict. Your whole life is just addiction, you know, and yourself and your addiction. And, you know, I have a, you know, a, a binder of things I'm ashamed of from when I, that are light years from who I am as a person and the way that I actually think and feel. So it's like, I, and we discussed this last night. My feelings are parenthood is a one-way contract and that sh the parents owe their children to, to play out that contract and children owe their parents nothing. Even if you're the best parent in the world, it's a one-way contract. And I believe it's a soul contract. And that soul contract includes when your parents aren't great. You know, I feel like I ordered a rough childhood, but I don't believe that my children owe me anything. They don't owe me to remember my birthday. They don't owe me to remember Mother's Day. My job is to host them, serve them to the best of my ability, set them up the best I can, and then be there as a sort of guide for the rest of their lives. But they don't owe me anything. And a lot of people don't believe that way, but I truly believe like energetically that's the exchange. And so um, that's you know, I have kind of a cold feeling about the entire thing. Now, most people want to then take care of their parents when they're adults or, or be there for their parents. You know, I, because of that energy exchange, when it's voluntary, I don't resonate with the obligatory because it's your mother, especially under these circumstances. What I said was you should just do whatever feels good to you and what's going to feel good in your story, because this contract is null and void as far as I'm concerned, you know. What did you feel when that when you like got the call and they said she wants to talk to you? When I initially got the call, I was annoyed. I'm like, can I just like go see my friends? Like can I have a breather? You know? It she's kind of like an attention whore and I'm like, you want the attention like right now, you know? Like there's been 20 years. I was, I was deathly ill this last winter and no call, no call. So there was this like sense of annoyance, but there's this part of me, like I'll get annoyed and frustrated at first, but there's this, like, if I loved you in this life, that never ends. That energy of love from me never fucking ends. There's a quote I really like, and it says, and I don't know who it's by, but it says, I still love everyone I've ever loved, even if I walk on the other side of the street to avoid them. Damn. And so that love in me is very strong and very real. And I think people are confused about abuse in a lot of ways because we think we don't love the people who abused us or if, or we think it's just a trauma bond and it is a trauma bond. Like we, we get bonded through their trauma, but that doesn't mean we don't have an authentic love for them. 
And there is part of me that has had so much self-hate because the feeling of my mom hating me and not just hating me, but saying like, this is Lacey's fault and my family, extended family, like agreeing with her and rescuing her. I went to therapy for, I mean, I've gone to therapy throughout my whole life, but I was going to therapy pretty consistently as a teenager and I'll never forget my therapist because I was an overachiever in ways. I was valedictorian. I was doing so good in school and I was like, I thought my grandparents just wanted me to like be successful because they were always like, you're going to be a pregnant drug addict, just like your mom. And so I think I almost manifested PCOS in my body because I was so afraid of being pregnant. Mm -hmm. Like that mean girl scene when they're like, you have sex, you get pregnant and you die. That was like all my messages about sex. And then I was like being molested in the back bedroom. So it was just very confusing. Um, But I think like I believed I was the problem and that I was going to be just like her. And I've just been waiting for the moment of being just like her. But there was a sense of relief in a way that she didn't want me at all. Because then that meant I didn't have to continue to mother her Mm. or to save her. Because honestly, if she ever called and she was like, I'm in jail this guy beat me up again, you know, I would have gone. And when I got the call at the airport, there was a second where I was like, do I figure out a way to get on a plane back to Denver? And I asked my guides and they were like, absolutely not. Your nervous system will fry the fuck out because part of my human design is like Eden. And I like want to make things good. I do not... Even if we have a conversation before bed and it's like energy slightly off, like I will go wake up my friends, you know, because I just want it to be good before you go to the next realm. Like I want an understanding. So I would have wanted to like be there. And I think what the fuck is the point of being there with someone who tried to kill you, knew you were being raped, beat up your brother, beat up you like the last five minutes. And then there was a part of me where I like kind of believe I am her mother, where I wanted to be like, it's okay. I forgive you. Safe travels. Your soul can be released. But again, that's me like saving her. Yeah. So there was that internal conflict. And then there was an energy of, oh, I'm so excited. She wants to talk to me. It's like when you're in a bad relationship with a guy and he's like abusive but him leaving you is actually worse than the abuse. Like mm-hmm. the abandonment is a worse feeling. Like you'd rather suffer and not be alone than that, like being alone. And I've, I've been in abusive relationships and the guy leaves and I'm like, oh my God. And then he calls again or texts and you know, that's the worst thing ever. But you're like, oh, I, I'm not hated. I'm wanted. And I was really interested to see what she had to say to me. And then the fact that I called and they hung up on me. Yeah. One of the interesting things about the, um, the, this portal, you've been around a bunch of cats and they all like somehow get what's going on. They're like, like Finn, 
Finn is pretty magic and she typically will only do that when it's needed because it's an energetic. It was so needed. Like when we started opening this up, like I haven't, we processed together yesterday, the three of us, but like I haven't really processed it much at all other than briefly with you guys and just opening up my body right now to it all. Like I'm shaking, my bladder feels weird. And then Finn, your cat, who I hung out with when I stayed with you guys before. Oh, right. yeah. So she knows you. Yeah. And I feel like I know her. Um, just came up and sat with me. And that was like such a relief to my nervous system. And then Minnie wanted to also sit with you and was pissed that Finn was there. So she was <laughs> like, I'll just scratch this chair till somebody. Till she gets up. Animals are just so magic in my life. Like probably in all of our lives, but... And it's like my friends' animals. I don't have any of my own animals, but my friends' animals like gravitate at the right moments, and I'm very thankful for them. Um, so, so there was a part of me that was glad I was fucking in the air because mm. I would have been subjected to like being there and saving her. And I didn't know if I should call or not, but I wanted to call and like not actually speak not like really save her, but she hasn't talked to me in 20 years. And I wanted to hear what she had to say to me. What the fuck was she going to tell me to make amends for what she's done in mine and my brother's life? I want to know that. Yeah. And fuck you for making a hoopla, calling this person and that person to get a hold of me when I'm in an airplane. And then I call back and it's like, nope, nope, Lacey. You don't get this, actually. Another so you, push and pull. <laughs> it's almost like your the lucky card was that that like the lucky card was you getting out of the vicinity of like being pulled back to to her and causing your nervous system to just fry because you're already down a tear, sick, right? Yeah, I'm healing, and like <laughs> I get, going into a train wreck while you're healing sounds horrific. But the luckiest part is to be in the presence of Jessa, to be in the presence of you and to be in the presence of your home and your cats. To be in Colorado, there's two energies that come up for me when huge death happens. I'm very experienced in death, but I have no idea if I'm handling it right or not. Like, But I've rode the death train quite a bit with people around me. And my first reaction when I got that was... I went on Tinder. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. I'm familiar with this coping mechanism. I went on Tinder and then I was like, that's weird. And then I was like, I wonder if I can own or if I could buy some tequila on the plane. Like I'm 33. I've never bought tequila (laughs) on a plane. I'm like, it's going to be weird. Like when Mark and Jessa pick me up and I'm shit faced. (laughs) Like none of us really drink alcohol and I'm kind of judgmental of alcohol personally, just because what I've seen it do in my life to myself and others, but it like, it was a go-to. And then as I was in the air on the next flight, I was feeling really like euphoric that I was going to be able to talk to her and to like hear her, which I didn't think that would be my reaction. And I had my headphones in and I do this thing where I have a playlist of like 10,000 songs that are just very random. And I say, guides, like show me the playlist I need to hear, like give it to me in a sequence of like healing for this moment. And the songs it was playing were just like unbelievable. 
And so I was just like blaring it in my ear and I had to stand up on the plane and start like dancing a little. <laughs> and I don't know why it was this energy of like, I'm going to go to Jess and Mark's night and we're going to fucking party. <laughs> and I went to the bathroom on the plane and it had like weird blue lighting in the bathroom. And I was like, this is trippy. And I just started dancing and I haven't danced in like, I don't know, eight months because my body was breaking down and I just danced next to the toilet <laughs> and then <laughs> came back to my seat on the plane and was just sort of thinking about what I was going to say to her. And when I was at the airport in Denver, my guides kept saying, before I knew any of this was happening, I didn't have an inkling except the night before I saw someone die and I thought it was me falling. And then the next day I was just obsessed with like, you could just walk and fall and die. Like people can fall and die. Like we do all these things to like be healthy and do the right thing. But like you could just trip, you know? And I don't know why I was like, I'm like, you fucking psycho. Why are you obsessing about tripping and falling? And Part of being sick, I've tried to shut off my psychic powers to like heal and recoup, recuperate, but I did ozone therapy the day before and like the oxygen woke up my brain and woke up my ability to tap into my psychic powers right before this. And my guides at the airport were like, you need to, I have these journal prompts on my Patreon and like one of them's like, write to your parent, you know, talk to their higher self, all that bullshit. Mm -hmm. And my guides were like, do that on the, in the airport. Like, so you know what to say to your mom. And I was like, I'm not saying anything to my mom. Why would I do that before I go hang out with Mark and Jessa? And now I understand why. It's so interesting to hear the, how many like sinks and that psychic ability was just so pronounced right before all of that happened. It's so fascinating. The, the dream the premonition of the dream falling and that it's like you did the cards before and it's like that night she fell you had the dream all of that is like so that's so cool to just to have that like that ability and the way it syncs up this confirmation of your magic but it's it you know it doesn't change the the heaviness of it obviously it's it's uh you still can't prepare for it but it's just cool to hear but it was preparing me for it. Yeah, I guess it is in, in a you know in a way it is, yeah. And it was making me feel like less alone in it, you know? And the fact that the universe brought me to you guys, it's like the most magic thing. Because at home, I think I would have like turned to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Clearly, I was trying to do that even on the plane. <laughs> and here, you guys have a place of peace. And like you physically can't go to the hospital. Yeah, I physically you know, can't go to the hospital. It's not happening in the same town. Yeah. And I'm physically being held here by the energy of the house. You guys, the cats are holding me. And I don't, I don't know what that would have looked like at home. Um, so... I didn't know... She also is a little bit of a drama queen, so I didn't know she was like actually dying, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then last night you, we were all talking and my phone was in the other room for like five hours because you got, we just sit and talk for five hours <laughs> without moving. And then my guides were like, okay, go get your phone now. And I like got up and got my phone and had the missed calls from my grandma and brother again. And people saying there's been an update. There's been an update. And I'm like, oh, so she probably died, you know? 
And I called my brother and he's like, they're taking her off for oxygen tonight. So she's going to die tonight. And it was 1130 when he told me that. And for some reason I was like, do you guys think I should do something? (laughs) Not realizing time, like time doesn't make sense in my brain a lot. And the time was like, oh, it's tonight now. (laughs) So that probably either happened or it's going to happen. But I didn't process that. And Mark and I were sitting on the floor. And then the cat just like flew in the air, jumped on the couch. And just, how do you feel like the cat was acting? It was sitting like a sphinx and then staring. I couldn't see, but uh, her eyes were fully dilated. And she was staring. Was she staring above Lacey's head? Yeah, the cat cats do a thing where they're when they're either hunting something or playing sometimes, but they get into like you know a real low position. Their eyes dilate; they turn circles, like huge black circles. And she was, I thought for a minute she's just like being frisky, wanting to play or something. But it did happen out of nowhere and was looking just above your head and kind of like going back and forth, but not in a thing. You know, like when they're gonna it's like prey they're about to pounce pounce. yeah and she wasn't like that she was just watching fascinated is almost what it felt like and then i did notice that after that like i think before you even picked up like that that was a sign she like it looked like she rushed like immediately went to check on her babies which made me just think she was like it's getting weird in here there's something (laughs) over that person something has happening and I need to go check if my babies are okay. Is what it felt like almost. Yeah. There was so much mom baby energy all around last mm-hmm. night. And so the cat was like looking above me. And as that was happening, I was like trying to be still, but I felt insane. And my first thought was like, the cat knows how fucking insane I'm feeling <laughs> right now, which there's truth to that. But it really felt like a tornado was spinning around me. Yep. And in a, in a way that I don't know that I've ever felt before. And then as that tornado was spinning, I was just like kind of interrupting you guys. And I'm just like, um, my mom wants me to talk to her right now. Should I just call and talk to her and tell her safe travel? And I was like moving my hand in the air saying safe travels, safe travels. And then it wasn't till after that, after the tornado stopped that I was like, oh, she died. And then she came here really fast and was telling me to talk to her. And she was just like, her energy has been begging me to talk to her for 20 years. Mm. But her mouth was like, I don't want a kid and it's your fault. Yeah. Wow. Have you felt her since? What I feel is that there's been this sense in me that when, what is death? What is hell? What is heaven? And I asked my guides this when I was little and they told me when you die, it's just truth. You get presented with ultimate truth. And when we're here, it's a life of illusions and we're like cutting through illusions. We're creating illusions, imagination. And then when you die, it's like ultimate truth. And how you live determines your personal truth, you know? Mm. So some people's personal truth will be heaven for them because they've acknowledged it here or cut through some of the illusions or created a reality that they feel 
authentic in. And some people will live in hell with the truth of how they chose to live. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if I believe in like permanence. So I don't know if it's like a state you stay in. But but it also felt like when my mom dies, the truth will set me free. Mm. And that I've been carrying her pain in this life in my physical body and it's been making me sick. So after you guys went to bed last night, I was like, listen, bitch, I don't want to have a conversation all night. Like I need to, I need to get some shut eye. <laughs> and my guides were like, tell her to take the pain with her. Tell her to take the pain that you've been storing in your body for her with her because Mark, you like, or all of us yesterday were talking about how part of my magic has been to absorb the demons and the shadows of others. And then I, that started with my mom because I was her mother and her healer in a lot of ways. And the best way I knew to heal her was to absorb her darkness, her demons, to make her feel better about her darkness. And so I integrate this in life where I'm like, I can make you feel better about the villain within you. And we can love your villain. We can love your demons. And I not only will love them, I will care for them and I will be your demon's mother. (laughs) (laughs) And so last night there was an energy of like safe travel. I'm not carrying your pain in my body anymore. And the dream I had before I came of her falling in the dream, I was like, did I fall and die or did she fall and die? And my whole life I've been like, am I the abuser of children or is she the abuser of children? My family, a lot of times don't call me Lacey and they call me Kim because they don't see the difference in us. They see us as the same person. So I haven't, always been able to be an individual I've always been looked at as her and I've had to like wear her failures so last night I was like in this this whole year of me being 33 I got really really sick and I was like am I gonna die am I dying am I dying am I dying am I dying and then last night it was like oh no she was dying And I'm not her. Whoa. And yeah, she was dying and I'm not her. And I think her being on another plane is the clearest formation of knowing that I am actually Lacey and not Kim. God, that gives me goosebumps. I, um feel like it's a little harsh but feels extremely true that what you needed was this death and then the lucky card is a little <laughs> over the top but guides be funny <laughs> they are hilarious it just like it perfectly when you told me and everything else it was like oh this makes perfect sense because even when you got sick and I think not for like from the from the moment you got very sick and it was very scary and we were all very scared, but I was like, I am I just when I feel what feels true, 
is that this is the beginning of the healing for you because this is the first time that you've been safe enough for everything you've stored in your body to manifest physically. You've never had a had a, a safe bubble of people or environments or whatever to have this moment. And it just, um, and there's so much magic in the age of 33, right? It just made so much sense to me that this is not fun, but none of these things ever are, but this is an initiation into a life for you of ease and comfort, which when I first said that to you, you're like, what? <laughs> I don't I've have never a heard those words. And so, you know, people who live lives like that, they're not long for this world. You know, that's why we have the 27 club. And like I said earlier, I have kind of a cold view on death because I don't think it's real. And I don't think that, that like living to your life expectancy is meant to be for a lot of people. You know, it's just kind of something life expectancy is a story we tell ourselves to feel better about, like to feel safe because we're afraid of death. But, um, so I, sure, sad, whatever. We don't even know what the circumstances of her life were. There are lots of addicts that are like, send me to the other side, give me another shot. But for you, the energy of that person leaving this realm. And I asked you yesterday, if you've ever had any of your abusers die, because I've, I've experienced the death of two of my, uh, rapists and I don't know if say sexual assaultants. I don't know. Um, and there is a, even though I don't think I was ever consciously thinking they were going to come get me or something again, there is, there was a, I mean, you know, a petty celebration maybe in the moment cause I'm an asshole, but like there was a like in my body, it was like a, and I don't believe in karma or punishment or any of that shit. People do the shit they do because they're also traumatized. So I actually have a lot of empathy for that sort of stuff, but there, there was a, there is a freedom and a healing that comes from like not being in the same realm anymore. And I can't, I'm very sensitive to the city that I live in. So I can't imagine living in the same city as someone who visited not only violence on you, but on someone you love, right? My brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which feels so much worse. Much worse. I'm, I, it's much more difficult. I feel like I can, I, if, I've always said that you can, you can do a lot of stuff to me and then I'll take it. But if you like, if I'm capable of, of rage, it's because you did something to someone I care about. Yeah. And, um, that. Yeah, to do that and to make me be there while you did that, you know, it's just a lot. It's a lot energetically. And, and what does it do to my brain and my body to see like a little baby be physically tortured in front of me? What it did was make me think like, I have to protect this baby. This baby is my, I don't know why I was a two-year-old thinking I was everyone's mother, but I was like, mm. this is my baby. And she's hurting my, or a three-year-old, like my baby. Like I, I so believed my brother was a baby that I would crawl into his crib and like sleep with it, like co-sleep and like hold him <laughs> when, when he was an infant, you know? And I was just like enraged in how they were treating my infant. And I still am. And there is some anger. Yeah. Um, I did want to say that I got a vibe when we were talking about it earlier. I got a pretty clear like message 
that um, what she would have apologized for would have made it a lot worse. Ooh, you just saying that makes me want to cry. I haven't cried at all. Yeah. And that makes me really want to cry. Yeah. Say more. Um, it felt like the flight, like, like you were being perfectly protected for the entire thing. I'm getting goosebumps because your flight was delayed also. Um, that everything was perfectly orchestrated to prevent her from being able to do that because it was, um, you know, a selfish selfish sounds like a value judgment, but it wasn't what you would have wanted. It wouldn't have brought any healing. It would have been like, um, you know, uh, sorry, I didn't reach out at Christmas or something. You know what I mean? Something that would have been like, fuck, that's not, yeah. That would have just made it worse. And now you can't, there's no conversation that can be had. There's no time to have this, you know, and, um, yeah, it was, I just got kind of this like wink that like, we knew exactly what we were doing was the timing of what was done. Thank you for saying that. Cause there is like this, like a little bit of internal conflict of like, what were you going to tell me? You know? Cause I'm, I'm still that like little girl waiting outside the door for her to like come back yeah, and tell me the thing or to love me. And it's so interesting. Like her and I spoke a lot through music and she just like was an extreme lover of music and words. And she was really intelligent. And sometimes like the most random songs get in my head, you know, and it's just like one part over and over. And my guides told me a long time ago that like when that happens, it's just the message of that part. Mm. And there's this like, there's this like, like alternative punky song and it's like i just want you to love me i just want you to love me love me love me and like i woke up to like that screaming in my head and i feel like i'm like in a punk show in my head all day and so there is that part of me where i think both of us her and i are sort of screaming in the ether at each other of like i just want you to love me love me love me Mm. When really, if we want someone to love us, like love them. So do you feel like you did love your mom? Yeah. 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 But how you, Mark, were saying earlier, like you're half your dad, half your mom. Every time you've said that a couple times since I've been here, but not even talking in relation to this, you're talking about DNA. Every time you say that, I want to push you. Same. (laughs) I'm just like, why is he saying that? Like, I'm not half of them. Because if I'm half, like, also you were telling me to love myself last night. But like you said it in a really great way that didn't totally make me mad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's like my least favorite thing for someone to tell me. But there's this element of like, okay, yeah, love myself. But I don't love who my dad is. I love my mom's soul, but I don't like love who she was here either and to like come from them and have their blood in me and hate them or parts of them. How do I love myself? Mm. Yeah. That's the debacle. That's the paradox. I don't know. But what do you feel? Well, I'll, all I'm stating when I'm stating that there's 
that that our parents are like half of us is physically that's what it is and i think that that they're in a way our ancestors they're our like first ancestor but if you just follow that trail back like okay so my my dad's mom and dad he was a portion of them and then it keeps going and you just follow that all the way back that's the thing that needs to be healed is like all of the discord between that and so it's not really your dad's fault as you much as you want to put it on him it's from whatever was before him and that split and then it like it goes back all all the way to this like one thing where it's like one soul we're all from this one thing and that's that mother wound thing that everybody always talks about is this like this severing the big bang or you want to call it or whatever that like splits from it and that we're trying to understand that we're trying to understand where we're coming from and I think one of the keys is, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't understand it either. Cause I don't have a balanced thing with my dad either. I love my mom a lot. Like I, I want, I accept that she's half of me, the half of my dad, I don't really get it either, but that that's, there's a key there. Like somehow we're supposed to balance that and harmonize that. And I don't think it's easy cause we don't understand it with all the pain and the suffering that seemed to have been like purposeful sometimes, you know, like you said, your mom got joy out of making you suffer. So that's all I'm saying when I'm saying it, it just feels like factual that we are half of them. That's how we got into the world. Genetically. You know? Yeah. Unfortunately, I feel her here now all of a sudden where I just didn't, I haven't since last night, but like whenever I'm doing a reading and I feel like extreme tingles on my face. It's just like, um, I always ask the person, like, did someone just die in your life? Cause like they're visiting <laughs> at the moment mm -hmm. and she's visiting at the moment. And like in this moment, I'm like, fuck, I feel guilty. Um, she, she, she's, why do you feel guilty? She wants me to feel guilty or she, she wants me to like speak about the guilt I feel. And the guilt I feel is that so much of this podcast is so much of this podcast is me working out my mother wound and the energy of standing up for myself. And sometimes in the energy of standing up for myself, I want, I wanted her to know and like actually publicly know that you don't get to fuck with me or my brother. And part of that defense mechanism is like, reminding you of the trauma that you produced and making you feel like shit for it <laughs> because so much of my life has been people gas my family gaslighting me and telling me like my feelings weren't real the trauma wasn't real don't dwell on the past so I've overcompensated in this energy of like standing up for what's right. What is right? What is wrong? My mom chose the wrong path and I'm going to do everything to choose the right path. So there's this like element of self-righteousness in it. And in the last few weeks, I've like wanted to do an episode, like kind of apologizing to her of like not saying I know your life has been a reaction of your abuse. And as I was talking about her getting joy from hurting me as a child, but 
when she got joy of silencing me or hurting me as a child, it's because, you know, that energy of like a baby screaming and crying and how it just like wears on your fucking nervous system, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, there is this instinct to like silence the child. And hopefully if you're stable and balanced, you can offer nurturing to silence the child. But if you're not, anger comes out Yeah, for the child the silence to stop and like anger first and then the child is silent and then there's like joy because you're like fuck finally some peace and i think her inner child was just screaming inside of herself all the time and i was lucky to find friends who are healers and teachers and to manifest healers since i was little who've taught me how to do this and my guide showing up for me where I don't think she had that access. So I think she's been living a life of this toddler screaming their fucking head off in her own body, where she's like gone to drugs and alcohol to silence that screaming. And if I ever screamed with that child too, like if I was ever the child and was screaming, her inner child would be screaming with me and she felt teamed up against And by silencing me as a little kid and hurting me, then there was a joy of like conquering her inner child. Mm. And this just came to me in this moment. So I don't know. Wow. That's beautiful. That's great. No, I mean, that totally resonates. We had similar moms in that. Um, my mom, my mom was raised by a horrendous bitch. I, I was softened on my mom a little bit. But her mom was a a goblin monster. And um, my grandmother had five kids, you know, starting when she was 17. I think she had all five of them by the time she was 22 or the first four. And then she took off and my mom raised them like from five. I mean, my mom had a rough childhood. And then my mom did drugs. And I had to go do drugs to realize that a lot of what felt like contempt and almost like evil abuse for my mom, nothing compared to what, what your mom did, but, um, that a lot of that came from the drugs. And now I would say the nervous system. I feel like I've way softened on everybody since I learned about the nervous system, but my mom also had this programming, you know, she was born in 55 or whatever. So she had this, she was raised by someone who was like children are to be seen and not heard. Like they had really morbid beliefs about kids. And then my mom had so much programming around um, children, like younger people should respect older people. And if you've ever seen me encounter an adult exhibiting that belief, because adults tend to have these power struggles with kids, like they're not respecting me. And it's very triggering to me because my mom was, um, I was not allowed to ask why, because it was questioning her authority. I was um, not allowed to make facial expressions. And, um, that was like, that's one of the things that is like so cruel because I would, you know, she would yell at me out of nowhere and then I would make a face and I was actually very sensitive and soft, you know, and like, I learned to not exhibit that, but I would look at her confused cause I'm confused. You're bigger than me. You're screaming at me. And then she would be like, wipe that fucking look off your face. Well, like her hand pulled back. And, um, you know, if I asked, if I asked why, I would get beaten if I asked, like other kids would be like, can we have a sleepover? And they're like, no. And they're like, why? And I would be like, what? 
kind of crazy house do you live in? And so as I got older, um, you know, it, I think a lot of my relationship with authority is is kind of wrapped up in that too. Like in her needing to kind of tear me down. Like that's so, don't you ever fucking question me, you know? And it took me into adulthood to realize like, I don't have to be afraid of this woman. I'm actually bigger than her. And she actually backs down pretty quick if you stand up, but I didn't, I didn't ever stand up to her. And I developed this just absolute, I avoid, like, I do not let other people be my authority, but rather than being like, you're not in charge of me, I just wiggle, <laughs> which is great because you learn how to subvert the government. But anyway, I can now look back and see drugs plus a bl blown out nervous system plus programming about this respect stuff. And, you know, she later lived with me, you know, she was clean, she got her shit together. She later lived with me with my kids and we would have, um, we would have tension whenever that respect thing would come out. And I would be like, listen, I don't believe what you believe. They do not owe you respect because you're older than them. That's bullshit. You have to earn their respect. So if you're talking to my children fucking crazy, they are allowed to tell you to watch your fucking mouth. And that's just what it is. I'm not going to say watch your fucking mouth, but like my, like Phoenix will be like, don't talk to my sister that way. So if you don't talk to my children with respect, they have not been trained to respect you because that's how I then went out and was getting fucking having sex under duress and pressure and became a people pleaser and everything else. So like how I'm breaking this family curse is that my children do not have to respect anybody or consider anybody an authority unless they decide to put that person into that position. And, um, so it's, it's it was cruel is the only language I had for it. But like the older I get, the more categories of reason. And right now I'm doing all this nervous system work. And I'm like, it was unconscious. You know, she was never hand wringing consciously thinking I'm going to hurt my child. And that's been the disconnect from between us in times when I was younger and we tried to unpack it. You know, I was in a, I got locked in a mental institution for a while as a teenager. And then they flew her out to have this conversation. And they're like, is all this stuff true? Did you beat her up in her sleep? Like, did you do this? Did you do this? And she's like, oh, I guess I'm the fucking asshole, you know? And it's like, it's just a, it's a child. Not capable of self-reflection or introspection. And even to this day, when she talks about my childhood, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. Because she talks like, oh, my sweet baby or whatever. And I'm like, I never felt that, ever. I never felt nurtured. I never felt loved. But I do believe that she thinks that's what it was, like that she was having a different experience because now I see how now I see how the role of the nervous system and whatever and so when your nervous system's blown out and a child is screaming and you're you come from abuse, you feel like they're fucking with you. You know, or they don't, you know, you're feeling dysregulated. I mean, this was an extreme thing, but then you're on meth on top of it and your child is trying to leave the house and for you're not, you're not self-aware. So you don't know why you're feeling weird. It feels like it's coming from them. Just like when, uh, our nervous system gets dysregulated because someone doesn't return our text, it feels connected to them, Right. And so it's not to say like abuse is okay, but all this shit is so fucking complicated because we just have these, we just put everything in the good box or the bad box. 
And then they, and then we go, well, are they good or they're bad? And it's like, it's complicated. You know, I don't really believe that there are a lot of like the villains that we saw on He-Man when we were kids. I don't think they're Skeletors. I think there's people who are living in a alternate reality based on their distorted programming. And then they're, they're reactive when their nervous system, and then they think they're justified because I think of all the horrible things I've done to people when I thought I was the victim. I thought I was defending myself. The other thing I wanted to, um, I know the, the pain of not knowing if you're being abused for the rest of your life. Like you can't do anything when you're a kid. And I take this into love relationships where I'm like, I get these sudden, like, I need to stand up for myself. And a lot of times it's over something small, like in retrospect, I can go, okay, that was small. But it's like that child inside of me is like, do not let this fucking happen to me again. And when it's your parents and they are supposed to keep you safe, you don't know you're getting abused until you're out of that because your system like can't, I think I've read this before, like your system can't because it will freak out if it realizes it's in that much danger. And that's why we pedestalize abusive parents. So it's not till you're out. I mean, it was, I was out of her home and like unpacking for years before I realized like, no, that was abuse, you know? Um, and now I'm afraid and I've done a lot of work around this, but I I've seen it again recently where I'm afraid I'm being abused again. If I don't feel safe, I, I like really can't tell the difference between are you in a bad mood or are you abusing me? Um, and that's such, that's such, it's just like the shittiest part of it is like, you did what you did. I used to feel this way about sexual abuse is like, yeah, fine. You did that. But then like now it just fucked up my sex life forever. Like I spent years figuring out sex and I feel similar and like relationships are difficult for people who had hot and cold parents, you know, who had, uh, parents who took things out on them and stuff. Cause it's like, now I can't tell because I was just loving you. Like I just wanted her to, uh, think I was cool. And so when I'm just loving someone and it's not like super obviously sunshine and rainbows, then I'm like, is it happening again? Cause I didn't know last time. Yeah. So it's brutal. Fuck. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. And it's, it's like, are you abusing me? Are you using me? Are you mm. abusing me? Am, am I being used right now? And I like give a lot, like energetically time. You give a fuck ton. I don't know if you feel the use thing, but I, I feel it's like confusing because I want to give. And then I'm like, wait, they don't love me. I'm just being used. Mm -hmm. I'm just being used. But so when I do readings and I get like the tingling on my face, it means like the spirit's coming in and like the tingling will be so intense. Sometimes they start like rubbing my nose. Sorry. I don't know why my boob is <laughs> making it. I'm like saying this as I'm grabbing my right boob because that has its own meaning too. But the tingles come in until something is said that needs to be said, you know? And I feel like she heard me say that she got joy out of me being abused and I just like channeled a second, but then I just started channeling as I was talking. I didn't know really what I was going to say about how it was her inner child that was being mm. abused. And I feel like she, I just channeled her because as soon as I said that and you started talking, the tingling went away. So she like went away. Wow. I feel like she just needed me to know that like she didn't just 
lackadaisically get joy from hurting me. It's that my inner child and her inner child were teaming up on her and she was scared. And it was relief. And it was relief. Yeah. And by me just even saying that right now, she got some relief and I got some relief and she went. Yeah. Because there's a lot, I think in a lot of this breaking these ancestral cycles is it's complicated. As you said, it's not good or bad, but the understanding of where at least a general like inkling of understanding of where it came from offers a path to then stop doing it. As in, like you've said, you've changed how you're going to instill something into your kids. It does stop there. And I do think with time not being this thing that we think it is, you'd break that backwards too. So if she was here and she, you channeled that, you now understand and she understands something and she takes that and it, it stops there too. You know, I mean, I think it still is like, a work in process, of course, is many layers to this, but, um, I definitely had that with my dad. Like when I understood, I guess having different experiences in my life that I could see that were similar, like I could see myself being short and like bitchy, like kind of how he was. Like I felt that the other end of it. And then I felt myself doing it and stopping and going, ah, that's my dad shit. And then understanding it more like, Oh, I'm doing why am I doing it? Oh, because of this and this and this. Oh, like that's mm. why he was doing it. And then it stops. It doesn't, there's not as much weight. I like, I'm not carrying it around anymore really, you know? And then you can, I hope I don't instill that into my kids. And I think that that's how we break these ancestral curses. And eventually that creates a world where it's not this duality thing, this kind of pain that we're always experiencing or we feel that they are putting on us doesn't happen anymore because we break the curse and it fractalizes backwards in time and it it goes away you know i feel like that's the duty we're always talking about ancestors and listening and wisdom and all of this but the idea that our like a most immediate um ancestor which our most immediate like connection back to the ancient big ones is our parents. And so whatever we can learn and fix next two, three generations, it, it really does like shed itself and it stops happening is what it feels like. But Mark, you are a real projector <laughs> and like, I just don't feel like a lot of people can read me or speak into me, you know, but like clearly Jessica can, but I feel like all weekend, like you are just calling me out and, and piercing <laughs> through me and speaking to me and uh, triggering me a little. When I turned 33 in September, I think it came in August, my guides were like, this is the year you're going to heal with your ancestors. And I think of ancestors, I'm like my great, great, great grandma, you know? Yeah, that's what I always think too. <laughs> my guides were like, and this is the year you're doing your ancestor healing. And I thought it was going to be like my Irish ancestors. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought I was going to be like healing with the Morgan. <laughs> and it's like, maybe they were like, call your mom. And I didn't. Mm. And I don't think we have to heal with our ancestors in the physical reality, though. Well, that's not what my guide said. Mm. I mean, I, they didn't say Jessa has to, but they were like, <laughs> you have to, mm. you, you know. 
No, but I mean, like, do they mean you have to physically reach out to them? That's, I don't know. What do you think? I feel like we heal with our ancestors by reconciling with the parts of them that exist in us. You know, so I, um, I don't like look like the older I get, the more I look like my mom, the more I sound like my mom and I recoil from that so hard. And it's because I haven't, and then there are aspects of my mom I don't like that are beyond the like, you know, whatever, cause we've done a lot of work around my childhood, but I have to, I'm like, okay, these things exist in me. They have to exist in me. This is why I don't like them. And, you know, I had to go do drugs to understand my mom. You know, once I was, um, I was on meth and a friend was being a bad parent and they said, and I was like, you're not a bad parent. You're just high. And then just was like this light bulb went off. And I think I, you know, the thing I've spent my whole life healing was the thing with my mom was like not being wanted by my mom when I was a kid. And, um, I would say that's my biggest wound and it's the wound that still affects my life. And I, you know, there's lots of things. I don't know anything about other ancestors, but I, I feel like you or you said this earlier that like the habits and the, the addictions and the, the yucky stuff, like it's been passed to us from our ancestors. And to do that work is to love it and to accept it and to allow it to have a place in the DNA so that we can move on and express something different. And I feel like in so many ways, the cliche that forgiveness is a gift you give yourself is totally true. I mean, for me, I forgive people because I like, I, I honestly do get it most of the time. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. But also I don't want to carry the baggage. I don't like to hold on to things. So I'm like, just get this out of here. I don't feel like fucking dealing with it. But that's not the same thing as loving them or loving the stuff. And I'm not claiming to have done this. I, I pretty much refuse to do this work, this part of the work. But um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think that reconciling is almost the word I want to say and not reconciling, like making amends with each other. Like, I just don't, th I think so many of these things don't need to be done with the actual person because it's about the energy or the soul, right? And a lot of times you're dealing when it's a physical person, you're dealing with someone who's not capable. And I think that so much of the pain in interpersonal relationships comes down to us wanting something from someone who's not capable. And true unconditional love is looking at someone, allowing yourself to see the truth about them, like the truth of who they are, what they are and are not capable of. You know, you have like someone in your life who is like an ex or a family member that like believes that you're the bad guy or they, you know, um, hold resentments against you for something that isn't, that you don't, that's not true, right? And you want them to see that you're good or you want them to see that you're trying or whatever. And like, they can't see it because then if they see it, they would have to look at their own stuff and they're not capable of that. Like most people are not capable of introspection. They're not capable of self-awareness. And so when we want an apology 
from somebody else, we're asking them to crush their entire self view, like their worldview, because most people are like hanging by a thread of like fragility and they can't handle looking at the fact that they're bad. Most people can't go, Ooh, man, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way, but I'm so sorry that you were hurt and I hope you forgive me. Whatever. Most people don't have like a cup. They don't have the space to do that. So I, we can't heal with our ancestors, like, or our family or the people who've hurt us most of the time, because like, they're not, they don't have the bandwidth. They didn't experience it. Right. Yeah. On the physical. So it, it, it has to be energetic, but when you connect to that person's soul or their energy or the parts of them that you can find inside of you, that's where that work has to be, you know, can be done. And to me, what totally makes sense in the case of you and that message from your guides is like, it's time to, what was their exact words? I think it's time for me to heal with my ancestors and to also stop pretending that I can just separate from them. Yeah. And I think when I, in the time of spirituality of like, uh, 2008 to to 2019 there was like a huge message of like cut off the things that aren't serving you Mm -hmm. like cut out people and move on you know i remember going to yoga classes and it'd be like cut the cords and warrior pose and i'm like fuck yes (laughs) i'm a warrior and i'm cut off from my mom and i don't think we're ever cut i don't think cords get cut i think you can offer like protection But, um, especially of like anyone who you've been inside their body or they've been inside your body, you just, you just mixed your DNA together. You now have like psychic abilities with that person. And I don't think that's a bad thing and I don't think it has to haunt you, but it's an energy that. I think we have to like work with and integrate with and balance. What are you feeling, Mark? Yeah, I just, I think that there's a, there's a lot of thoughts, but the, I agree. I don't think that it has to be physical on the material realm because half of our ancestors aren't here, but I do think there's just something, the thing that we're trying to heal is like what it seems like is most people can't reconcile that there's good and the bad or like that somebody that's supposed to be good to me is doing something so bad. Why? I can't like make sense of it. And that kind of also, it feels like we're all trying to figure out why we're here. Where do we come from and why is this happening? Is like the general consensus. Most people don't want to think about it too much. They just want to continue doing the thing in life. But of course, you know, people in the spiritual movement, in the spiritual world, that's what we're all trying to figure out. And that seems to be because there was a wound somewhere and there was something that happened and there was like an abandonment. And so if we could understand why that abandonment happened, then it would go away and I wouldn't be confused why I'm here. And so I think it's really hard to like, obviously connect back to like an ancient ancestor, Osiris or whatever the ones we want to put these names on that. Because I don't know who it was, what it was, what it thought. But if I can connect to the direct one, the parents and my grandparents, and start to like cut back that 
not cut it, but understand it and actually unify it. As you just said, like cut those people out and move on is actually just more division. And that's where we're way down the trail of division from this original source of oneness. So yes. trying to figure out how to get back to the unification has to start somewhere within our direct vicinity that we can actually, if they are in the physical realm and you can do that great. Cause there's probably more understanding that could come from it, but definitely for you not to be hard on yourself that you didn't in the five minutes go back and try to, it's, I think it just happened in this room, you know, and I think that that's a huge, something big just happened and there's probably more to come. But I think that the, the confusion, it's just, the weird thing where you just really connect back if you just follow your grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents and you just keep doing that you get back to source and there's the one thing and that that's how we heal it somehow that when you just heal the direct one closest to you it cascades backwards you know yeah and heal parts of ourself it cascades backwards and forwards yeah and so it's understanding is really what needs to be, occur, I think, is understanding why there's such darkness that still is, like, God. prominent. But understanding fucks me in this life. Like, I will stay in an unhealthy relationship for eternity to be like, but does he love me? I need to understand. I need to understand. I need to understand. And I just, like, really loop on understanding way too much. Like, I've been trying to understand my mom this whole time and theories and i have created mythology around her to understand and something you just said mark like you said when we cut people out we create a division we divide the energy and when you said that i was like oh i've been really fractured from her like i felt this fracture in the hologram like this division of energy while she was here where now that she's dead i feel i have part of that back i don't know i don't like that i don't know if that makes sense no i feel like there's a riddle in the you will heal with your ancestors i don't think it's you will heal your relationship with your ancestors you will heal and so will your ancestors you will heal together and i think that when the avatar is still here on the planet you have the egregore of whatever that person was and what you're trying to understand with your mind and now that they are more in the realm that that you operate best in i think there will just be almost like download type healing yeah, I mean, it just happened. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Thank you for putting, like, words to that. Yeah. Because it's all, like, she's in the bardo right now. So the bardo is the space in between. Like, when you die, it's the place you go in between. And they say, like, for, I think, 45 or 47 days, that soul is in the bardo. And mm -hmm. it's, like, where a lot of the truth comes up, the healing comes up. And a lot of people, like when their ancestors die or, you know, the loved ones, they go to that place and have a lot of connection in that first 45 days. And I'm like, again, like, will I get shut eye in 45 yeah. days? <laughs> but, but yeah, I think what you just said about it being downloads is wild. 
or the healing will come as downloads. Yeah. And I think that the the thing about downloads is like they bypass that story part because they bypass our wishful thinking. They bypass our projections. You know, it's just not, knowings. I have knowings. I don't have thoughts, you know? Yeah. And as you're saying that, you're pointing to your body. Mm-hmm. The knowing is in the body and the thoughts are in the mind, the mental, the masculine. Mm-hmm. And now I feel her again. All of a sudden. It's so it's interesting. Every time I'm doing readings, my nose itches. Yeah. I don't know if it's like universal. You know, I see my my body is like an oracle deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like I know when I get a feeling in my kneecap on the right side, exactly what that means. But I'm not necessarily saying like everyone okay, who gets gotcha. that feeling in their kneecap. It's just like, you know how you read tarot and you're like, this is what the three of swords means to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's kind of how I see my body. But also I've thought that about you. I'm like, oh, she had like the aliens are next to her right now. Yeah. I can never tell if it's just my third eye is like spinning so hard. that's just smacking. Like it's just sending air to my nose, but I am like always scratching my nose. I just, as a sink, it's probably pertains to this just today. I was listening to something that was talking about, uh, that the nose, like a lot of our senses are seem are because of the chemical stuff and all this stuff, the toxins that we're living in. We're being poisoned, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't know. Um, that a lot of our senses are diminished, but that the nose, as we see in the animals, is profound and it senses a lot more than what is in the material realm. Like, and so it just, to That's me... Cool. It feels like that actually is sensing into the bardo or into the spirit where the ether and that it would be coming here first. Like Mm. you can smell it the same way. And it's not like a physical smell necessarily, but when someone comes in the room and you know, the, the energy's off, it's like the nose is, is sensing it from far away, just like a dog does or a cat does. Ours are just dwindled down. And we, if you are psychic and have, you know, less toxins, it's probably more prominent, but. That feels true. I think the pine, the third eye too, and they're very close. So, yeah, but you know how sense is connected to taste and all of that. If you can't smell, you can't taste as fully. So it feels like it. And like we literally sniff out our right sexual ma- matches yeah. for DNA. <laughs> like, and we are we are repulsed by certain people because of their organic smell or very attracted to people based on that. And I feel like it's been a tool of the matrix, like fucking cologne with heavy metals in it and like yep. perfume to to block who we're supposed to be procreating with and i don't mean even just like procreating a child like just like who you're supposed to link up with. and be gods together and create with yeah and i don't like to use this word but you know that like sickness that was going around in 2019 <laughs> 2020 and it messed with your fucking nose yeah. and lyme disease oh <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I, I don't have a lot of emotion yet. Do you think the emotion will come or do you think the emotion's already been there? I think there's a chance it'll pass through when we're gone. Yeah. When it's just you and the cats. Yeah. You, I get to be with you guys for three days and then you're leaving for five days. And I was like, is that weird? And And I am so blessed for that. Like to have you guys be here when it hit, you know? And like 
thank you for holding me. And then as a projector, get the fuck out. Yeah. Like we have to go in, right, Mark? Like you have to have your like alone time to like actually process. Yeah. The timing is crazy on this whole thing. It's really special the way it worked out, like to the T perfect for what you individually need. Yeah. Yeah. When I first got taken away from my parents, my guides said, you're not going to be able to trust people for a long time, but you can always trust divine timing. Mm. And that's been a huge magic in my life. And I do, and I'm not that I don't get scared and freak out, but like my guides are always like, remember divine timing. I've been so, so scared of love and Jess has done such a like phenomenal thing with her art and I think through her art, it it's came from the energy of love and it's attracted a lot of love. And Jess is really good at like linking people up and bringing people together in a very etheric ETH way, like on the internet, but also in the physical. And through this experience and meeting people who listen to this podcast and Jess's podcast, I don't feel alone right now. Mm. And I don't feel alone because I'm in the presence of like you, Mark, and just how you're looking at me right now. Like, I'm just like, your eyes are beautiful (laughs) and it's because your soul is beautiful and it's providing me a sense of safety And you're one of the first masculine I've ever been around that truly feels safe to me. And I don't have to like know you in and out or anything. Like you can be down in the studio or taking alone time. And I just, it doesn't, it doesn't scare me where there's other men around. If I'm not getting constant reassurance that I'm not being hurt. Like I get scared and like you embody this beautiful strength, but also this beautiful ability to weave ideas and you're so creative and being in that energy now where you produce beauty around you. I just feel like that's part of like what that lucky card was is that I feel lucky that I get to be in a space where you both have created beauty and where I get to see Jessa and see the trauma and pain Jessa's come from. And like last night when we were talking, Jessa kept using the word white trash a lot. And nobody in my life has used that word a lot besides my mother. And my mother was very clear, like, you are white trash, Lacey. I'm white trash. You're white trash. And she took this like weird pride in it, you know? And, but in a way that was like sort of poetic and beautiful, a way of her, my mother spinning her trauma into something beautiful. But I love that like Jessa can walk around with uh, one of her teeth missing and, <laughs> and get ready. She's getting ready to go to the Hamptons and owns it like owns it with beauty and grace all the while creating a map for the people being abused right now, for the kids being abused right now, or the people who just don't feel like they, they totally fit in or can manifest themselves. 
And I've come to Jessa at times and been like, I'm scared of this timeline and I'm scared of that timeline and almost sort of an energy of like, do you understand? You know? And like, I wouldn't have that conversation with her in the first place if I truly didn't think she didn't understand. But there is this like sort of defensive kid in me where I'm like, but Jessa, do you understand how much pain I'm in? Like can, and it's mostly like, there's been times I want you to convince me that I can manifest a new reality, which is probably exhausting for you. And I apologize. (laughs) Um, but I think that's like part of your magic and your gift is you're showing us that we can have abundance, but not just abundance in like a financial form abundance in this experience. Even if we started out as white trash, even if we started out as being molested, even if we started out or are currently the villain, Hmm. And I, you've done like a phenomenal job of like opening your door and showing us that we can open our own doors. So I'm very lucky to be in your, both of your presence right now. And I'm thankful you guys have, this sounds weird, but I'm thankful you guys have a romantic relationship and on a selfish level, it's teaching me about love. And not that I like know a lot about like the interworkings of your romance, but isn't that a weird word? (laughs) Um, We do fuck. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) You want to talk about it? It's our pod. Wait, didn't we talk about that on the podcast? (laughs) Any any, uh, orgasmic confessions. (laughs) Um, But I have friends right now who are in healthy relationships and I didn't know those existed until I got to be around my friends in healthy relationships. And I don't even know fully what I mean when I say healthy relationship, because I'm still learning what that looks like romantically, but I am thankful to be in your guys's presence while you're working it out, you know, and you openly talk about like, we had an argument or we like process something together and I just like that I get to be a witness to it and I love you both for that and for the art and the hearts you have. So thank you. That was a very long rant. (laughs) I was like, damn, uh, when a projector compliments you, it is, it's very deep and penetrating. Yeah. Yeah. But it's part of, it's part of our healing too, is to like give each other flowers so that I don't have to hit you up, you know, the last five minutes. <laughs> like, I just don't want to be on my deathbed screaming, Jessa, because, like, I didn't tell you, you know. I'm glad you guys are romantic. <laughs> Maybe I should take that part out. <laughs> That's weird. But, it, like, I think I told you that in Nashville, though, too. It's like, I haven't seen, my mom and dad hated each other. My grandparents didn't love you. Like, I've never been around the masculine, feminine, like, loving and supporting each other. It's so new for me. Yeah. So, like, it sounds weird, but it's, like, new and helpful for me. Yeah. Well, I feel I feel the same way. And now I'm, like, having that itchy on my nose. So I just want to wrap up by, like, just channeling for a second. I don't even know if I can channel. Okay, right away, my guides are saying that I need to say that, like, I'm going to butcher this, but it's, like, that Hawaiian prayer thing. Mm. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. What is it? I don't, what is it called? I th- I've, 
I know what you're saying, but I think there's a name for it. That's like, a, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. Hoapanopo. Hoapanopo? <laughs> That's why I didn't even attempt it. I knew it started with an H. Okay, my guides just like screamed really loud that I need... I'm sorry, please forgive me because I... this. Is this cultural appropriation? Is this really butchering something? I just, I butcher everything that isn't just like my own personal experience. So I just try to never talk about anything of anyone else's, but I, I think it's the intention. Well, I just like, don't have an intention. I was just about to channel and my guides are like fucking screaming at me to do the hope and oppo. Yeah. <laughs> we'll delete that part. Yeah. But like my guides are just screaming at me to do. I say then do it. The Hawaiian prayer. Blame them. So I just Googled the Hawaiian prayer and it says, what does this Hawaiian prayer mean? And it says to make things right. So much about me and my mom have been like, is this right or wrong? And what is the prayer, Mark? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And I think you pronounced Huapanopono. Huapanopono. And then how it, when I Google it, it says, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. There is part of me that wants to tell her, like, I'm sorry. And I started saying that to you last night. And you were like, you don't have to feel guilty. Like, you don't have to be sorry. But but I am, like, sorry that she didn't get to heal. And I am almost like, sorry, she didn't get like some of the experiences I've gotten because she's fun. She's like fun. Like she had a lot of friends. Like, I feel like she would like, you would like her, even though I like rip her apart. There's this energy that she would be liked by you guys, like by all of my friends. And I think she felt very unloved. And I carry part of the pain I've been carrying is like not just me being unloved, but her walking through life feeling unloved. And I've taken that demon on. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Thank you for putting me in a preschool with all disabled kids when I didn't have a physical disability. (laughs) She put me in Tiny Tim with my little brother and she told me that I'm not better than anyone and that it's really important for me to know as a three-year-old going into preschool that no matter how I appear in this life and what I have or don't have that I'm not better than anyone and that I am the main protector for my brother Mm -hmm. and she was so involved in this tiny Tim preschool and I got to like hold the little kids and play with the kids and they had down syndrome and autism and different range of physical and mental disabilities. And I think that alone taught me so much about magic that she knew was going to teach me about magic. Her heart was never bad. Her heart like pulsated love and there was times she really wanted us to survive and thrive. Thank you for telling me how smart I am and how powerful my voice is going to be in the world. 
thank you for singing and dancing with me. Thank you for getting really fucked up at parties and teaching me how to mix drinks and do keg stands when I was like eight, because I know how to entertain a crowd, which is one of the greatest tactics in war. Thank you for always making sure, no matter how bad the violence was during the day, that before we went to sleep, you told us every night that you loved us and tucked us in. Thank you for telling me not to trust any of my teachers. <laughs> Thank you for the first time I was bullied and you told me to go and punch the strongest girl in the eighth grade in the face and that I wouldn't get in trouble even if I was called into the principal's office. Thank you for telling me that sometimes we have to go to the strongest, scariest illusion of an enemy and stand up for ourselves even in that moment. Because I'm not thanking you for teaching me violence and teaching me to punch someone. I'm thanking you because I punched someone and I never felt so hurt in my life that when I caused that other person pain in their face, revenge. Thank you for t trying to teach me revenge and you teaching me to seek revenge. And that revenge doesn't come from punching someone in the face, but revenge, the truest revenge is healing and having a good life. I don't like any of this. So I'm going to delete all of this. No, this is so good. I cried. It's a eulogy. Thank you for when I was little and telling me my brother was gay and explaining to me what being gay in this world means and that he'll need an other, another added layer of protection in his queerness and in his expression. Thank you for teaching me to be there for him at all of his surgeries, to learn to, how to bandage up his skin. Thank you for teaching me I was a healer at an incredibly young age. Thank you for having fun in the misery. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how alone you felt because of your parents. I remember holding you sometimes when you were crying and you telling me like, your dad doesn't love you. Your dad doesn't love you. Your dad doesn't love you. And I remember one time you looked up at me and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I forget. Like you don't have a dad, Lacey. And I was always just like, it's okay. I know you're hurting right now. And I know that they hurt you so much. And there were so many times that I had to live with them after I was taken away from you that I just wanted to call you and be like, yeah, they suck. <laughs> you were right. They suck. 
I forgive you. I forgive you for whoever molested me when I was a baby. I know that's where you pivoted and you lost part of your soul when you knew I was being molested as an infant. And I don't know who did it and you would never tell me, but I can still hear your cries on the front porch of like, I let that happen to you. I let that happen to you, Lacey. I let that happen to you. And I have a feeling it was someone who was around or is maybe still around, but I forgive you for that part. And you don't have to be so fractured in your soul with that anymore. That part of your soul can come back. Whoever took part of my sexuality when I was a baby, they're not really relevant in our story now. Thank you for instilling instilling confidence in me. Thank you for always knowing that I was something that was going to shake the ground I walked on in every room I entered. You prepared me for that, and it's real. I hope, I hope as you transition out of the bardo into the new, that there are people there guiding you who have guided me because I know you and I are actually that different. So I hope you can say hi to my childhood best friend, Brandy, and tell her to not feel so bad about the way she failed as a mother. And I hope you guys can both connect to Courtney's mom because she's an angel. And she was one of my angels on this plane and in the ether. Thank you for always calling me your best friend, even when you were trying to kill me. Because it, it programmed me knowing that my greatest gifts in this life are my best friends. Thank you for choosing to have a midwife when I was born. Specifically the midwife who decided the name you chose for me was dumb. And that I was not supposed to walk this life called Victoria. <laughs> Thank you for choosing the midwife who got me to breathe after I entered this life and called me Lacey. I love you. Thank you. Please forgive me. And I'm sorry.